Oh, I have lots of favorite organ composers. I mean, Bach has to be up there because he was sort of this, you know, one of the singular greatest composers for the instrument. students at Western University. I'm your host number one, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your host number two, Mark Ambrosio. And with us today, we have technically host number three, but actually as a guest on the show, Ryan Baxter. Welcome to the guest side of GradCast. Thank you. How's it going, Ryan? Good. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to see you. (laughs) Yeah. So we're excited to hear about your research. So can you tell us, and I know you're doing a lot of different things, so Mm -hmm. maybe just give a general overview and then we'll break down each different thing that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. It can be hard to to find um, what we're doing in research over in the Faculty of Music sometimes for performance students, Mm -hmm. but I'm the Doctor of Musical Arts program in piano performance. So our our program is mainly practice-based, right? We're piano performers. Yeah. Um, but there are research aspects to that. So we research through performance, but mm-hmm. we also do what you might consider more standard research where you know go in the library and you write things. So the program's four years. It's about two and a half, three-ish years of coursework. Mm-hmm. And then after that, things are a bit more independent. So the way the doctorate in, mus- doctorate in piano performance works here at Western uh, you take lessons three or four years. Mm-hmm. So you take lessons you know, with the same instructor the whole time, usually. Three courses that are not in performance. Five courses in support of performance, and some of those are predetermined. Okay. And then you kind of get an elective in there somewhere. And then you have to do recitals and write a paper. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of everything, as you said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think some for some people who may not be familiar, and I don't know to what extent this is unique at Western, but I know there's is there like two basic doctoral there's the phd in music yeah and there's doctor of musical arts Mm -hmm. and you're in the doctor of musical arts which is as you say the performance-based degree which although it's performance-based it still has a research component Mm -hmm. so is that fair to say yes um you're right in in music we have doctorates and phds and that can be a little confusing for for some people um the basic rule of thumb is if you're in performance composition or conducting we call Mm -hmm. that a doctorate it's a more practice-based kind of degree. And if you're in musicology, music theory, or music education, that's almost always called a PhD. Okay. So they're both four years. They're both the same amount of work. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they do have a different name. All right. Yeah. So you take piano lessons as yeah. part of it, but you must have some experience before you can get to do a PhD in music. So how, yeah. when did you start playing piano? Yeah. So like many of us, I started as a kid. Yeah. I was like six. I had done kinder music before that. It's a program for young children. And then, uh, how old am I now? I'm 26, so this is like my <laughs> 21st year of consecutive piano lessons. Wow. Which you, you think like, wow, he should probably be better than this at this point. But there's so much, you know, there's always so much more to learn in music performance. But yeah, generally to get into university level music performance, you have to have reached about a grade eight or a higher level to get okay. into like an undergrad degree. Yeah. And then of course undergrad takes you to masters and then to doctoral level. But you always have to audition your way into programs. Okay. Of course your academic standing matters, mm-hmm. but um, any school you have to audition to get in. Yeah. Okay, so there's both, it's based on your transcripts, your mission, and your audition. 
Yes, yeah. applying to grad school in music, I think honestly having done it several times is it's one of the most difficult things because there's a lot most programs you are assessed by the faculty of graduate studies or the university or the program mm -hmm. based on your transcripts, perhaps your writing skills, and that's kind of it. And of yeah. course, they might do interviews to see if you're actually a good fit for the program. Yeah. But in music, it requires transcripts, mm -hmm. writing, pre-recording, so they can pre-screen you, live auditions, um, conversations. Sometimes you have trial lessons, right? Like it's actually a really long for process sure. for, for grad and school And it sounds like nerve-wracking too, like to do yeah. a recital as your audition, like this is it, don't mess up, you're about to get in. Like how do you, <laughs> is that yeah. stressful? Or well, is you're like, oh, I'm so good at piano. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, auditions are always stressful because yeah. they're short. Like you don't, they don't have time to listen to a full recital from all their applicants. Okay. Yeah. Your pre-screen recording is often not that long. It's just for them to be like, okay, are you good enough to come yes. actually audition for us? Because I think your end product will be a recital, like a public recital in, yeah. in either um, like the Paul Davenport Theater or Von Kuster Hall or somewhere like that, yep. right? In the, in either Talbot College or the Faculty Music Building. So, like, in the Doctor uh, Doctorate of Musical Arts, um, so that's one deliverable is the recital, mm -hmm. um, and then you have a research product, which is like a th which is a thesis, right? Um, yes, like yeah. or like a smaller thesis. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. Here at Western, there's actually two options. For students that are really interested in research, they can opt to just do three recitals in their degree, and then their dissertation is actually labeled as a dissertation, requires oral defense, and it's a bit longer. Mm. Uh, we also have the option of you can take lessons for four years, and you would do four recital or performance projects. They don't have to be solo recitals, but they have to be performance-based projects. Mm -hmm. And then your, your research paper is not labeled as a dissertation that requires like defense for the faculty. Mm -hmm. um, and is a bit shorter. That makes yeah. sense. So, so what what stream are you in right now? Yeah, when I started the program, I was like really set on the stream with three with three recitals and a longer paper because I am really interested in research and I love writing and I have other academic interests. But they've actually recently changed the program so that if you don't want that option, you get lessons for four years. And I was like, well, I can always go write another paper. <laughs> Yeah. But you can't always take lessons with somebody like the professors we have for another year. Yeah. Um, like So that's an opportunity that's really hard for me to let go of. As much as I love writing, I can do that when I'm done here. But it's really hard, not impossible, of course, but it's mm -hmm. hard to just keep taking lessons with really strong professors once you're out of here. I'm wondering, um, Ryan, and that sounds very interesting because uh, perhaps when Emily and I hear about lessons, like I'm imagining – you know, a 10 year old uh, Sorry for me with a part time music teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, did you practice this week? Mm -hmm. And we'll soon find out. <laughs> Whereas, like, you're taking lessons, you're, you're a doctoral student yeah. taking lessons from a professor. Yeah. And that sounds to me like a totally different dynamic. And is it always with, the, it was always with your supervisor? Or is it sometimes with, like, depending on genre, maybe with someone else? Could you maybe mm -hmm. let us know what it's like? Sure. So, in most classical programs, and I'd say even in non classical programs and jazz programs, too, you're, you're with the same professor every week and often every year of your program, unless there's a good reason to switch or your professor's on leave, um, you stay with them. Uh, what you're imagining, Mark, is actually not super far off, right? Like, I took music lessons as a kid growing up and then all through high school and then you get to university and like, it's not that much different. Yeah. The expectations are continually getting higher, mm -hmm. um, right? Like, you have to practice. Right, like you, you're an adult now. Yes. Um, so, like I said, the <laughs> expectations and the performance level get higher, 
but the principles are still the same. It's you and your professor, and who is often by default your supervisor in, in grad studies. Um, you you know, sit next to each other on the piano bench. Yeah, we, uh, sometimes. <laughs> I was going to say, prof my I professor has two pianos in his office, okay. as most piano professors do. But, um, you know, one of the best parts about piano lessons, and this continues right up to the doctor level, is your professor sitting there right next to you and actually <laughs> being able to grab your arm and fix things, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd be quite alarmed if my supervisor, all, all respect <laughs> to her, grabbed my arm spontaneously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, so quick question. I've, I've been by your office when I'm wandering because we're neighboring buildings, mm -hmm. um, and you have a, a, a piano. So not only does your professor have a piano, yeah. who is your advisor? Uh, professor Stefan Silvestre. Okay, so... Yeah. He uh, has so he has two pianos in his office. Yeah. Do you have a and you have a piano in your in your office? Is that correct? Um. Yeah. So the faculty purchased a number of they're called Yamaha N1Xs. They're a they're a hybrid digital piano. Oh. Um, okay. And they purchased a number of those to put in doctoral student offices. Uh, we're lucky that we all have offices. Tell tell the college is so confusing, right? <laughs> like I think on the third floor there's like a hundred doors. <laughs> like oh my god, where am I going? So yeah, we all we all have digital hybrid instruments, but it's still good for practicing. Yeah. Do you put in a headset so that no one else can hear except for you? Yeah, I don't practice a lot at school myself, mm -hmm. but um, we're encouraged to keep the volume low or use right. use headphones. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. how many hours a day do you spend practicing? Uh, who's asking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the performance students, you know, sort of admit that you can never practice enough, right? right. Like it's a it's a bottomless well. Mm-hmm. You have to think about how effective you are. It's always about the quality of your practice, not how right. much, right? Yep. Just like any athlete, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got to take care of your body and your mind. I, it just depends on how busy things are. Sometimes you get like six hours in a day. Mm -hmm. I try and get in like two hours a day. Uh, the reality is a lot of professional musicians, even some of the best pianists that have ever lived, say the limit's about four hours a day. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, you're not really being effective. Um, not that you can't be. Right. There are plenty of pianists who practice six, eight, ten hours a day. Oh. Um, like if you want to be at that level, that's what you got to do. Myself, I have other academic interests, and I love the academic side of music. So I'm not somebody that actually enjoys sitting at the piano six hours a day. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, everybody's different. Some of my friends do practice that much. Mm -hmm. uh, some of us not so much. Because there must be a point where the practicing, like after so many hours, becomes futile, and you're like, okay, now not only am I not getting better, I'm actually getting worse. Like I need yeah. to take a break. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're right. Like there's that's an area of music cognition study that some people are really interested in. Is you know what's the limit, mm -hmm. and you know, in sort of comparing professional musicians to athletes, you know, right. th there is a limit, and how do we know? psychologically when we're when we're there yeah. there must be a limit or even things like time of day or things like that and everyone yeah. must have certain high points mm -hmm. yeah yeah everybody's different yeah. i like to practice in the morning i find i'm more productive then some people are night owls and they're like nope 10 p.m to 2 in the morning that's when nope. i practice right that's not me Every, everyone's <laughs> yeah. different i have a question yeah real quick so producer here scott walters uh, I am just curious, though. I, it was really interesting what you said, how you wanted to take advantage of being able to take lessons with these incredible people here at Western. And it just makes me think about my kind of grad studies and other people I know and comparing that like with lab work in our case versus writing. Mm -hmm. And you say you could write at any time later. And I was just curious, in your form of writing, in your discipline, uh, do you will you still have that same sort of opportunity to have 
and over somebody overlooking your writing and the type mm. of research you're doing later as well? Or is it kind of work differently than maybe what I might be imagining? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, if you're interested in like performance research, then it's in your best interest to be a really good performer, right? And then take your research from there. I think I would, just myself, I think once, I, once I'm done, you'd have an easier time having somebody to help you review written work than you would um, review your performances. That's always an option, but like, it takes a lot of time sometimes, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. it can, to sort of form that relationship, you might need to take lessons with somebody for quite a while before you can really dig into that next level of your performance. Mm -hmm. Where with written work, it's a bit, um, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Easier is not the right word. But, uh, straight, yeah, straight to a, the point. It's a bit more straightforward, right? Like, is you this can send it in an email. Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. send it in an email, yeah. and it might take less time. Yeah, and the person um, doesn't have to read it in front of you. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, true, yeah. right? That's There's true. The, that asynchronicity that's required. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really special, though, that you get that time to have your, your supervisor directly train you. Yeah. Because I know, like, in a lot in biology, there's kind of this, like, older grad student teaching younger grad student. I mean, maybe not older and younger, but, like, further mm -hmm. along versus brand new. Yeah. Like, my supervisors have taught me lab skills. Like, they've definitely come into the lab a couple times to teach me something directly. Mm -hmm. But it's it's really cool that you learn, like, right from the top. Like, you're you're my supervisor. You're the best. They yeah. have that time to sit next to you and, and teach you and be with you. I think that that relationship is really special. That's one of the most unique things about music education in the university, particularly at the undergrad level. The undergrad level where there's so many students there are very few faculties and programs mm -hmm. where you get to be with a professor an hour a week yourself the whole program mm -hmm. yeah right like i'm sure you didn't have that in biology no. maybe no. but in music you do if you're in performance and there are perhaps people, in visual arts too mm -hmm. yeah there are people in humanities and social sciences who can go weeks or months without mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean i i i you know i rarely go more than a month or yeah. at least a month but um but yeah, as, as Bramley's point, that's amazing that you have that close interaction. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's also quite uncommon for, for grad students to teach undergrads in music. Okay, yeah. Um, not that grad students can't be good for performers and excellent mm -hmm. teachers, but it's, it's uncommon in music that that happens. Not that grad students don't teach things sometimes or mm -hmm. like piano classes and stuff, but individual one-on-one -on -one lessons and performance programs are basically exclusively taught by faculty. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in the DMA, the Doctor of Musical Arts, you have, is it four public recitals? Yeah. And is it one year or is it four at the end? Um, wow, that would be hard. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no real time stamps on them. This yeah. program is pretty flexible. Oh, it's okay. like, okay, you got to do four of these. One per year is pretty common. Usually we do them in March and April because then you have the whole year to prepare. And they don't have to be solo recitals. There could be some collaborative elements. It could be a chamber recital. It could be a recording project. It could be some kind of lecture recital. Um, again, it's just kind of between you and your committee and your supervisor. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I, I recommend for anyone here at Western or in the London community, faculty music has almost everything is free except for yeah. I think the opera. Yeah. Like it's a resource. Like if you want to hear world class musicians, mm -hmm. like it's, you know, I mean, this is last week <laughs> because of the holiday coming up. But I mean, aside from that, every week there's something happening. Now, do you have a recital coming up? And I, I'm going to go out on a limb, I think, because I've walked by your office before and heard you play Bach. Oh. Is, ba is Bach on the list? And who else is on your list for your next recital? Yeah, so I my recital will be in April. Like Mark said, you can check out the, the events calendar for the Faculty of Music, which is always chock full. <laughs> so there's always something to go to. So my recital this year will have works by J.S. Bach, Franz Schubert, uh, Sergei Rachmaninoff, 
and Canadian composer Karen Sunabaka, who lives in Guelph, I believe. Mm. Um, and my conception for this program um, was four pieces, each about 100 years apart. Oh. So the Bach is circa 1711. We don't know the exact date he wrote it. The Schubert is 1815. The, the Rachmaninoff is 1911. And the Sunabaka is 2011. So I've got four works for the piano written approximately 100 years apart from each other. Wow. That's amazing. Very clever. Yeah. When is that? Can we come? <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, like Mark said, most, most events in the Faculty of Music are free. The best way to just know what's going on is, like I said, the Faculty of Music's events calendar. Mm -hmm. It gets updated every week with what's coming for the next week or month. or, um, And it will get absolutely loaded full of student recitals in March and April because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of performance students. So okay. I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head. I think it's April 23rd, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to tune in to stay uh, connected. Yeah. And there's also, for those who do attend, there's also a separate link for programs. Yeah. And they, you won't normally find programs at the door, but just download on your phone or print it off in your office. And That's then right. Yeah. Two, come armed. two separate websites, one for events and one for the actual programs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We can probably link that in the show notes. Sure. And people want some we will. random yes. GradCast yeah. fans will show up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're moving along in the interview. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the other programs that you're into, your other research interests? I know you have a love yeah. for education. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, I'm almost done my master's of education at Athabasca University, which is Canada's open online university based in Athabasca, Alberta. And that's in, it's like longest degree title ever, master's of education in open digital and distance education with a focus area in instructional design. Wow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that is a mouthful. I know it is a bit of a mouthful, but I got really interested in, in online education. And I was like, wondering, just in general, but also like, okay, how do we do this in music? Yeah. Because the pandemic happened. Wait. And suddenly we were doing... So are you yeah. doing an online education master's about online education? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's very meta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's, they, there's lots of options in that program at mm -hmm. the basket, but mine was about instructional design mostly because I was curious about, you know, how does this work in music perhaps? And, you know, I'd like to work in a university someday, and I think that's a valuable set of knowledge and skills because distance education isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, it's been around for 150 years, mm -hmm. but especially given the context of the pandemic and everything that's happened during and after, it's not going anywhere, and we have to know how to do it. Um, People sometimes think that distance education started in 2020, but the Open <laughs> University in the U.K. started circa 19... 1960s, circa 1970. Yes. And so distance education has been around. Like even back then it was, you put you put your homework in in the mail, in an envelope mm. in the mail, yep. and the professor emails you back feedback. Yes. And, and emails, and emails you back <laughs> feedback. And, and uh, yeah. so we have, as you say, Ryan, um, yes. even though we've returned to your person, primarily in-person instruction, mm -hmm. there'll always be distance education. Yes, and like models like that have existed since the 1800s. Mm -hmm. There's also been distance education models that have used television radio, mm -hmm. satellite internet. I mean, think about books. Books are the original distance education mm -hmm. medium. Right. Right. I write it down and I send it to you so that you can absorb that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's always been around. So that interests me. Yeah. So how does that apply to piano? Because we've just talked about you and your supervisor yeah. sitting next <laughs> to each other, two pianos in one room. Yeah. I haven't worked all that out yet. You know, <laughs> having been through the pandemic myself and during my master's program and not being able to have lessons in person, um, you know, it made a difference. Um, there's a lot you can accomplish in, in online performance teaching, but it does lack that element of being able to just fix things physically, mm -hmm. and that's such a big part of what we do. 
So I don't think, you know, nobody's quite cracked that yet, but it is something I'm interested in. It can be done well. Mm-hmm. Any, one thing I've learned in my education program is, um, you know, distance education is often unfairly seen as inferior. Right. And I think we've gotten over that. Anything can be taught just as effectively by distance as in, in person if you use the right instructional design and have the right technologies. Now that doesn't mean we're there for everything. Mm -hmm. Can I teach you surgery that way? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But again, technology is always improving. That's part of it. If you use the right technologies and you use the right mediums, anything can be taught just as effectively. That's what the research shows. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, that's very cool, very interesting. Ryan, I know a lot of uh, music students and people involved in the Western music community are sometimes involved in the London community, like different performing performance groups, or they may perform here and there, or some people may, if, as an example, uh, perform at churches. Mm-hmm. Are you involved in the community in that way? Yeah, so uh, I'm, right now I'm organist and music director at Roundtree Memorial United Church here in London. Um, there's also lots of people in the faculty who work in church music and community choirs and are involved with London Sinfonia. Um, Metropolitan United Church has a big music program, so there's definitely some Western representation there. I think everybody's kind of everywhere. Um, you know, it depends on what your interests are. Like, I work in church music, but we have jazz musicians and popular musicians who I'm sure are involved in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you can find us everywhere, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> and and I, I can ask a good question, but uh, you're you're a pianist, yeah, and you're working at Roundtree Memorial United Church as an as an organist. Yeah. So tell us about the crossover between piano. I was just going to want to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, I'll let Emily finish. Yeah. <laughs> or between piano and organ. Sure. Is the organ just a gigantic piano? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Good question, though. Um, yeah, so I, I, my undergraduate was in piano performance, but it was basically ended up being a double major in piano and organ because I was playing organ a lot and taking organ lessons and doing organ recitals and stuff. So I do also consider myself an organist. It's kind of become my second instrument. It is very different than the piano. You play them both with your hands, and they mm-hmm. have they both have a keyboard. Uh, but of course, they function very differently, and they feel very differently. And on the organ, you also play with your feet because mm-hmm. there's a pedal board that's set up just like a keyboard. So um, uh, the reality is that to learn the organ, it really helps to be a decent pianist before you start because there's just a lot of coordination because you're also learning now to play with your feet. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a big instrument. You kind of have to be tall enough to get started. So most people don't start playing the organ until they've got some decent piano skills. That's so not kids. Not kids. They're too little. Of course, <laughs> we, we really want kids at the organ. The mm-hmm. organ's an instrument that's not as popular as it used to be for lots of reasons. So it's great to expose kids to the organ and get them started. But to really play the organ, unfortunately, just the physicality of the instrument it helps when you're a little bit more grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've seen um, organists and, you know, you have the keyboard, you have the stops, yeah. you have the foot pedals. You're s- I've seen them sometimes doing three things at once. Yeah. <laughs> that must take a lot of dexterity. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. I'd say I was a pretty good pianist when I started playing the organ, and I practiced a lot. And it still took about a year for it to click mm-hmm. before it was like, okay, I can th- make my two hands and my two feet think independently. Um and move independently. Yeah. It's hard. And then yeah. there's the rest of us trying to rub our bellies and pat our head at the <laughs> yeah. same time. And it's, we can't do it's it. It's like that, but involve your feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Or tripping down the sidewalk because you're chewing gum. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Okay, I want to direct the, que- the the conversation to your other your other program, if you will. So sure. you're doing some stuff with the Indigenous 
community or yeah. the indi- what, what's that program called? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm really happy to introduce that here on GradCast. Western introduced a program, I guess, like a little over a year ago now, uh, called Memaguan, uh, Indigenous Learning Honor, and it's run out of the Wampum Learning Lodge. It's a program for undergrad and grad students. Um, it's co-curricular and extracurricular, and students take courses and workshops, volunteer placements, um, different events at the Wampum Learning Lodge, and all of this kind of get packaged together as a way of demonstrating the students' commitment to reconciliation in their life going forward, not only in school, but in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say I've watered it down with that very sterile explanation, because <laughs> it's so much more than that, of course. So I encourage you to check out you know, the Wampum Learning Lodge's website to read more about it. But it's available to any student here at Western who's, who's interested in that. Um, I've been in, interested in Indigenous studies and issues for a while and was l- kind of looking for something like this to just sort of guide the path. Mm-hmm. And then I got to Western. I was like, oh, man, somebody's done it for me. This is amazing. I don't have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy that that exists here at Western and that even as a doctoral student, I can partake. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, like like I said, you could do all of those things on your own but it's nice that somebody has meaningfully thought about a way that makes sense mm-hmm. in the context of you know student life. Um, so you're really looking forward to continuing on with those activities here at Western. Ryan, so you know you're doing so you're doing your doctor of musical arts and piano performance. Yeah. You're doing your online uh, masters in uh, education from appropriately enough online from Athabasca, <laughs> and you're doing this uh, honors program in indigenous learning. Yeah, and you're an organist and you help <laughs> help with broadcast. Yeah. Um, are you all one person or what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I'm like on this eternal quest to figure out how all these things fit together. Um, you know, I, I joke with people that like when I'm done my doctorate, I need to do a PhD in interdisciplinary studies <laughs> that finally puts all these things together. Because um, it is a lot. I agree, Mark. Like I do feel like one whole person, but I, I haven't figured out in my life yet how how all of these things fit together. Yeah. Because obviously I love music. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about education. Most of most of my employments in the past have actually been in education, not necessarily in music. And then as an adult, I got really interested in Indigenous studies and Indigenous issues and truth and reconciliation. So, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, how does this all fit? Um, so I don't have a great answer for that other than to say, you know, it'll happen when it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Right? What are your, what can you see yourself doing for your dream job? I know you mentioned you wanted to be, like you want to be into education, Mm -hmm. but what would that look like for you? I'd love to work in university level music education. Um, I don't know what that'll look like. You know, tenured positions in humanities are becoming a bit of a rare species. (laughs) You know, like many people I'm sure in our PhD programs we're we're hoping for academic work, but that might not happen. Um, And that's okay. So... You know, I, I think I'll still try, mm-hmm. and I'll look in Canada, I'll look in the States. I'm not averse to working in other countries. So, yeah, you know, the dream is academic work. I really do feel I belong in a university. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, um, and then I got to high school. I was like, okay, I could do this. And then I worked in high schools a little bit during my undergrad, tutoring math and stuff. I was mm-hmm. like, I love teaching math. I was like, okay, I think I could do this. But the more university I did, I was like, I think I belong in a university. Mm-hmm particularly once I started taking education classes because a lot of faculty are excellent teachers but actually don't have much background mm. in education. Yeah. 
and I was like, I care about instructional design. And I've taken classes where I was like, this could be done better. <laughs> so maybe that's part of why I want to do it is, yeah. you know, I, I'm really passionate about university level education and I think I could do a good job. For sure. I think you could do a great job. Thank so you. Thank you so much for coming on GradCast as a guest. It's been awesome to learn more about your multiple programs and everything yeah. you do. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm. I encourage everyone to, you know, check out the Faculty Music website. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Ryan. Thank thanks, Mark. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson. My co-host was Mark Ambrosio, and we've been speaking with Ryan Baxter. This episode was produced by Scott Walters. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.